Hi, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to D4. This is the show where each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons. We theorycraft about them, we crunch numbers about them, not with the intent to tell you the right way or the best way to play a character, but to explore one potential way to build and play a character in the hopes of creating something that is both really powerful but also really fun to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for D&D, almost as much as you enjoy playing the game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on a potential character that you might want to play, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I'm so glad you're here. I truly am. My name is Colby, and I'll be your host. So here's a dirty little secret about weapons in D&D 5e. Generally speaking, and depending on how you build your character, the weapon properties are actually a lot more important than the actual damage die or dice of the weapon itself. I know this is just a few weeks after releasing a video entirely built around the highest damage dealing weapon in game. Here's what I mean. Someone new to D&D might look at the list of available weapons in the player's handbook and think, okay, the greatsword and the maul do 2d6 damage per hit, and that's more than any other weapon. So if I want to do the most damage possible, I'll give my character a greatsword or a maul. The more experienced player, of course, would know that even though they only do a d10 of damage per hit, which is less, using a polearm, like a halberd or a glaive, and taking the polearm master feat would let you get a bonus action attack with that polearm, letting you add your ability score modifier even to the bonus action attack, and so you'd actually do more damage with the polearm and that feat than you would with a greatsword, even though the weapon damage die is slightly less. But you can take it to even further extremes, right? The reality is, adding damage to weapon attacks via spells, feats, or other in-game features can make the actual damage of the weapon itself feel almost irrelevant. Let's take a look at the humble blowgun, for example. The blowgun does one damage. There's not even a damage die. It's just one. That's teeny. And so yeah, at first, it's easy to see how someone might think I'd never use that weapon because one damage is terrible. Someone new to the game might think that the heavy crossbow would be the best ranged weapon, since it does a d10 of damage. But of course, again, the more experienced player would know that if you took the crossbow expert feat, the hand crossbow is the superior choice. Since, similar to the polearm master feat, it lets you get a bonus action attack with that hand crossbow. Meaning, overall, it would do more damage than the heavy crossbow would, right? But, without feats, is the 1d6 damage from the hand crossbow really that much more damage than the lowly blowgun? On average, the hand crossbow is doing 3.5 damage per hit. That means you'd do 2.5 more damage per attack on average than someone using a blowgun. In that light, it's a fairly insignificant difference. I mean, if both characters took the sharpshooter feat, which adds 10 damage to every ranged weapon attack, the blowgun user would do 11 damage per attack, and the hand crossbow user would do 13.5 on average. It's not nothing, but it's not a huge deal. The vast majority of our damage there is coming, of course, from sharpshooter, not the weapon. And if you have other ways to pile on damage per hit via, say, like a hex or spirit shroud spell, or a hexblade's curse, or something like that, then the difference becomes even more minimal as a percentage of the total damage, right? Now, yes, the truth is that the crossbow expert feat exists, so getting an extra attack per turn with that hand crossbow over the blowgun is really where the gap starts to widen. That said, you do have to spend a very precious ability score increase or feat to take that crossbow expert feat. 
And thus, for a true apples-to-apples -apples comparison, you would need to figure out what the blowgun user might take instead to try and narrow the gap between the two weapons, right? Maybe the blowgun user takes an ability score increase, letting you hit more often and for a little more damage per hit. Or maybe you get to the sharpshooter feat sooner and for a while there might, depending on the enemy armor class, be doing more overall damage as a result. Or maybe you could even take I don't know, say the Poisoner feat, for example. There's something that could potentially help narrow the gap a little bit between the blowgun user and the hand crossbow user. But more importantly than the numbers, you just might not be interested in playing a I just want to do as much damage as I possibly can with a ranged weapon so I'm going to take the hand crossbow and the crossbow expert feat character, right? Maybe you really want to play a character who uses a blowgun to poison their enemies because that character sounds cool and fun and unique, something you'd really like to craft a story around, and you want to know how viable that character might be and what kinds of things you might do to get their damage at least reasonably close to the hand crossbow user so that you can be both true to the character you want to play but also still viable and useful and maybe even reasonably powerful, right? And yeah, so many of the builds that I do on this channel follow that formula. Character concept first, maybe sometimes even with some artificial restrictions that we impose on ourselves in the name of being true to our character concept or story. And then we kind of try to optimize from there. And yeah, that's what we're going to be doing today as well. I want to try and create the ultimate poisoner, poison dart character that we can using the blowgun as our only weapon, not because it's the most powerful ranged weapon user in the game, but because it's a fun and interesting concept that, with a little planning, can be reasonably powerful as well. Now I should mention that, due to the expensive nature of the Poisoner feat, which we'll get into later, we're going to be building this character as a burst or nova damage dealer, someone who expends a lot of resources in one big round of combat in order to do as much damage as possible to an enemy in hopes of taking them out of the fight early and thus turning the odds of the encounter in your party's favor. Also, we should probably address the elephant in the room right up front here. Yes, there are a ton of enemies that have immunity to poison damage, more than any other damage type, I believe. So. You're going to need to go into this character with your eyes wide open about how viable it may or may not be depending on the world that you're playing in, depending on the enemies you're going to be fighting, depending on your table. You should absolutely, as always, but especially with a character like this, be discussing this character with your DM before you even start your first session and see if they anticipate a lot of poison immune enemies or maybe if there's a workaround that you could agree on for your character to deal with poison immune enemies, etc. While most of the damage we do is not going to be from poison necessarily, failure to do this might still lead to a lot of frustrating combat encounters for you. So beware, plan ahead, talk it over with your DM. All right, that's the preamble. I proudly present episode 105, The Poison Dart Frog. Big thanks to my good friend Randall Hampton for creating this fantastic piece of art for the character concept that I sent him, that he creates for the character concepts that I sent him each and every week. He's a wonderful artist, and I love what he does with the concepts I send him. One of the best parts of my week is just seeing what he's come up with. If you want to follow Randall or potentially commission him for a piece of art for your character or even your party, I will as always put links in the video description on how to do so. Thanks Randall. Also, 
Before we jump into the build, a quick word about Roll for Combat's Kickstarter campaign for their new and fantastic BattleZoo books, as they are again, but for the final time, the sponsor for the video this week. In case you hadn't heard, this Kickstarter is well past their funding goal and into their stretch goals, and by the time this video releases, there will only be three more days left on their Kickstarter campaign as it ends on August 26th. So. If you have not backed this project yet, go do so now to help them reach their next stretch goal and also get all the great perks that you can only get if you back them while they're in Kickstarter mode. As a reminder, the Kickstarter consists of three books that are fully compatible with both Pathfinder and D&D 5e. First up, we have the Battle Zoo Beast Jerry Strange and Unusual book that will have over 150 award-winning monsters, new monster part rules, and more. These monsters are going to be some of the weirdest, wildest, and most unusual creatures you've ever seen. Each of them was submitted to the 2022 RPG Superstar Contest, and they've all been compiled for you here. There's also going to be new character backgrounds in this book, new magic items, and even a new Aberrant Soul subclass that will have you as a player character slowly transforming into an aberration that looks super cool. Next up, we have the Battle Zoo Ancestries Year of Monsters book, which will include new races or ancestries for Pathfinder, usable for both players and NPCs, released once a month over 2023 for monsters, weapons, dungeons, and more. Each of these ancestries or races will be a minimum of 10 pages, with a few expanded up to 40 pages in size. At the end of the year, they're going to release a compilation book that contains all of the ancestries or races, plus extras. And then finally, there's the Battle Zoo Eldemon book, which is basically going to let you combine everything you love about collectible pet games like Pokemon with your D&D campaign, including ways to collect, train, evolve, and then even battle the Eldemon pets you collect. Including all forms, there are going to be about 240 Eldemon that you'll be able to play with, and they're even including a non-collectible card game that will be playable as both a standalone game, but then will also work directly with the books and in your campaign. All told, there is just so much content packed into what Roll for Combat is creating, and again, I think you should absolutely check it out. Go to Eldemon.com right here. I will put that link in the video description as well. That'll take you to their Kickstarter page. You won't be disappointed for backing these guys. They have a great track record for creating a lot of fantastic 5e and Pathfinder compatible content, and it's going to just really do a lot to enhance your game. So huge thanks to Roll for Combat. Can't wait to see the finished products, and let's jump into the build. All right, at level one, for our starting class, I want to go fighter. A lot of you thought I was going monk, didn't you? I know why, and I'll talk about it later, but no, we're going fighter. I've used fighter in more builds than any other class. I'm actually almost a little ashamed of that fact because they're so vanilla, right? But the reality is that I've done very, very few builds that take more levels in fighter than anything else. I mostly just dip fighter. And I think this character is going to be strongest by going mostly fighter. So that's what we're going to do. And it's important for us to be starting fighter because they get martial weapon proficiency. And a blowgun, which might surprise some of you, is considered a martial ranged weapon, not a simple ranged weapon. As for our race, I'm going to go grung. Yeah, fine. I'll do a freaking grung build. <laughs> I've had a ton of requests over the last two years to do a Grung character, and I've been putting it off forever primarily because they're a non-core D&D race. They are official monsters in D&D since Volos, and they are also in the latest Mom book, Monsters of the Multiverse, but the PC playable race version of the Grung came to us from uh, one Grung above from the DMs Guild. But I think because it's available on D&D Beyond, they tend to be 
allowed at most tables. And it just seemed like if I was going to try to build the ultimate poisoner character, especially one who's using a blowgun, I just had to use the grung so they could be a true poison dart frog. If you can't or don't want to use the grung, that's fine. This character could still work with another race. I, of course, would probably go custom lineage and then just kind of make them look like some sort of froggy, murlocky type character. <laughs> that's my impression of a murloc. Because then we could get a free feat, and there are two that are very important to this build, and the whole point of custom lineage really is to give you the freedom to create a race of your own that doesn't like already exist in the game, right? Now, what does a grung fighter look like? That's up to you, of course. But I think of this character as a green grung, since those are the warriors in their society. But it's not necessarily like a frontline warrior. They're more of somebody who attacks from cover, hidden behind the forest canopy, maybe popping out from a pond or a swamp to attack. More of a guerrilla hit-and-run type warrior than a stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy exchanging blows, right? We do get a couple of cool features from the Grung. I mean, they can breathe both air and water. That's nice. They are immune to poison damage and the poisoned condition themselves. That's nice. They've got a nice standing and running jump distance, and then, most importantly for us, they have the poisonous skin ability, which tells us that any creature who grapples or otherwise comes into contact with us has to make a DC 12 constitution save or become poisoned for one minute. And if you're poisoned, as a reminder, you have disadvantage on both attacks and saving throws. That's a pretty strong debuff, though between the fairly high immune to poison or poisoned condition rate, the fairly low DC, it's only a 12, and the fact that it's a constitution saving throw means you might not be poisoning a ton of enemies this way. What's maybe worse, you can't choose to not have a friend be affected by this, so I guess you're going to be a character that's super starved for physical affection. Sorry, Grung. Even better, though, is that with Poison Skin, you can apply this poison to any piercing weapon as part of an attack with that weapon. No bonus action or anything required, which is really nice. Again, the enemy makes only a DC 12 con save, but if they fail, they take an additional 2d4 poison damage from the attack. It's not going to work every time, but it's a fairly significant amount of bonus damage when it does work. And one kind of funky thing to note about the Grung, though, if they don't spend at least an hour immersed in water every day, you get a level of exhaustion. Yikes. As we discussed last week in the Berserker Lurker episode, exhaustion sucks. So again, this is something to discuss with your DM early on. Are you going to be able to get easy access to water most of the time? Maybe see if you can find a decanter of endless water or something in like a portable bathtub to make sure you've always got a supply on hand, right? As for our ability scores, I'm assuming as always that we go with the point by system and recommend taking a 14 dexterity and taking a plus two there, a 15 constitution and a plus one there, and then a 14 intelligence. As for equipment, I'm gonna recommend gold buy option as I usually do and picking up scale mail and a blowgun at least, plus any other necessities you may have. We could, of course, wear heavy armor, but since we're dumping strength on this character, that would be really bad, giving us a 15-foot move speed, since Grung only start with a 25-foot move speed. And eventually, we're going to be fine with studded leather, since we will be pumping dexterity on this character here. For now, scale mail gives us the best armor class possible, so unless you're super concerned about stealth, I'd go that route. 
for now. As a fighter, at level one, we get second wind, which gives us a 1d10 plus our fighter level in healing once per short rest as a bonus action. And we get a fighting style. And that means we get to choose the archery fighting style, which is my favorite fighting style in the game because it gives us a plus two to hit with ranged weapons. And generally speaking, depending on the armor class of the enemy, but especially if we end up taking sharpshooter, which we will, bonuses to hit are much better for our damage than bonuses to damage. At level two though, we need to take a multi-class detour. See, there's a problem with the blowgun, and it's that it has the loading property. And as a reminder, that means that even if we could normally make multiple weapon attacks per turn due to like the extra attack feature, we can't make more than one attack per turn with this weapon. Now, firearms users and crossbow users get past that with the crossbow expert or firearms expert feats, but there's no such feat for a blowgun. So even though, yes, we do ultimately want to get multiple attacks on this character, especially during our Nova round, to pump that damage as high as we possibly can, if we want to make more than one attack per turn with a blowgun, we need to find a way to deal with that pesky little loading property. And the best and probably easiest way to do that, I think, is by getting a couple levels in Artificer. So yes, at level two, we are an Artificer one. Apparently our little grung warrior has a penchant for tinkering and magical tinkering at that. Maybe they've got a little bit of red grung in them after all. Half red, half green? Not sure if such a thing exists, but anyway. As an Artificer 1, we get Magical Tinkering, which lets you take a non-magical object and make it emit an odor or a sound or a light or a message, etc. A fun little utility feature. And then, of course, we get spells. For cantrips, it seems like you kind of have to take Poison Spray on this character. It does really good damage for a cantrip. It's a d12, but again, alas, it's a constitution saving throw, and it has a very short range. So I'd probably also grab like Firebolt or Ray of Frost as a backup, as well as Guidance for the really nice support utility that it provides. As for first level spells, I'm probably picking up Absorb Elements for defensive purposes, Cure Wounds because it's always great to have a backup heal. Beyond that, Fairy Fire is probably the best use of our concentration for now, as it's a nice way to give your entire party advantage on attacks against potentially multiple enemy, though it does cost an action to cast. At level three, we would be an Artificer 2, and that means we get Infuse Item, and that's the main reason that we wanted to go Artificer. So Infuse Item lets us infuse two non-magical items and enhance them in some pretty powerful ways. I think the two infusions that I would choose to use would be enhanced defense to give our armor a plus one to its AC, and then most importantly, enhance our blowgun with the repeating shot infusion. Repeating shot tells us that we can give our ranged weapon a plus one to hit and damage, very nice, and even better, we can ignore the loading property of the weapon if it has it. So now we can potentially make multiple attacks per turn with our blowgun once we get the ability to do so. Another nice little feature, if we don't have ammunition, the weapon will produce it automatically. That said, I think we're going to want to have our own ammunition still because there might be some weirdness with needing to poison our ammo before we shoot it. And then it kind of raises the question, can we do that if the weapon is producing its own automatically when we attack? You know what I mean? Anyway, discuss it with your DM if you have questions about that. But at level four, I think we go back to fighter because there are just so many great features that we get for several levels. I'll talk a little bit later about potential routes to take instead of fighter and why I'm not taking them. But yes, at 
level four, we'd be a fighter two, and that means we get action surge, which is a key component to almost every burst or Nova damage build that I do, allowing us once per short rest to take two actions on our turn instead of one, which means we do have a burst or Nova option now, finally, getting two attacks in a round instead of one if we use action surge. At level five, we would be a fighter three, and that means we get our martial archetype, our fighter subclass, and we are going to go with, wait for it, the samurai. <laughs> yeah, samurai. I've had a ton of requests to do a samurai build, and I'm thrilled to finally, for the first time, be using them in a build here. And that makes three first-time things for me this week. First time with a grung, first time with a blowgun, first time with a samurai. Woohoo! Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that most people who have been asking for a samurai build probably envision something a little more along the lines of your typical sword-wielding, bushido-honoring character that most of us think of when we think of a samurai, as opposed to a froggy, jungle-dwelling, poison dart shooter. And, you know, I might build that bushido samurai one day, but for now, for us, I think the samurai is the perfect fit for this character. Let's read what Wizards of the Coast has to say about them. The samurai is a fighter who draws on an implacable fighting spirit to overcome enemies. A samurai's resolve is nearly unbreakable, and the enemies in a samurai's path have two choices, yield or die fighting. Wow, that's it? <laughs> Guess the writers were suffering some serious writer's block that day, huh? Anyway. It kind of leaves it open to our interpretation of what a samurai in our world might look like. So that's kind of nice for some flexibility, I suppose. But anyway, as a samurai, we get a bonus proficiency, lets us pick up a skill or language proficiency. That's nice. And then we get fighting spirit, which is really the main reason I wanted to go samurai. See, using a blowgun means we're not going to have a reliable, consistent, weaponized bonus action. We're not taking crossbow expert, though technically we could, and make like blowgun attacks and then a bonus action hand crossbow attack, but I was really just trying to focus on the blowgun here and not use the hand crossbow crutch, right? We're not two weapon fighting or doing anything else to get a reliable bonus action attack, but what we do really want is advantage on our attacks during our Nova round, especially once we get sharpshooter later. And fighting spirit is a really great way to do that. With fighting spirit, three times per day. It's a shame that it's not proficiency bonus times per day, but oh well. We can, as a bonus action, just give ourselves advantage on all of our weapon attacks we make that turn. We also gain five temporary hit points as well, which scale with fighter levels, and that's nice. So yeah, it's straightforward, it's easy, and it's powerful. At level six, we would be a fighter four, and we get our first ability score increase or feat. Now, I'm going to recommend that we take the sharpshooter feat here, but some of you might be crying foul at me for not taking poisoner. After all, I said that I'm trying to build the ultimate poisoner, right? This is true. I am. And if you feel like your integrity demands that we take the poisoner feat here, then go for it. It's not going to be as powerful for us as sharpshooter. And since we're getting some poison from our poisonous skin feature and sticking to our blowgun, I don't feel too bad about going sharpshooter first here for the sake of the numbers in the spreadsheet because they're not gonna be great right now. So that's what I'm gonna do. As a reminder, with sharpshooter, you get to ignore half cover and three quarters cover when making ranged attacks. You can make ranged attacks from long range without suffering disadvantage. And that's quite nice actually, since otherwise our range is only 25 feet with a blowgun. The long range is 100 feet, and that should be plenty for most combat encounters. 
And then most importantly, with Sharpshooter, when you make a ranged weapon attack, you can choose to take a minus five to hit penalty to do 10 more damage per hit. That's a lot. And thanks to the advantage that we'll have, as well as the nice plus to hit bonuses that we have, it really increases the damage we do at most enemy armor classes. And so at level six, it's time to do our first damage report. Let's discuss what combat is going to look like for us right now during our Nova round. We are simply going to use a bonus action to give ourselves advantage on our attacks this round and then just make an attack with that poison piece of ammo you know rubbing it on our skin as we make the attack to apply the grung's poisonous skin feature if we hit it does one damage for the weapon plus one thanks to our repeating shot infusion plus three for our dexterity plus ten for sharpshooter plus 2d4 for poisonous skin assuming the enemy fails their saving throw then we just action surge and do it all again. Our attacks would be with advantage and a plus four to hit, assuming we have sharpshooter turned on, right? But thanks to the archery fighting style and our repeating shot weapon and our dexterity modifier and our proficiency bonus. And thus, if both weapon attacks hit, we would potentially do 4d4 plus 30 damage. And so against an enemy with a 10 armor class and a plus zero to their constitution saving throw, we would on average do 36 damage. And against an enemy with a 15 armor class and a plus five to their save it would be 28 on average and you know what that's terrible <laughs> worse than any other nova build that i've done to date at this level but here's the thing the reason it sucks so bad is because of the conflict that we had with the blowgun with that loading property and needing to get the artificer infusion to deal with it at next level we would get extra attack and we're basically going to be doubling our damage so yes right now we are in the middle of the winter of our discontent but it's about to get much much better and if you can somehow convince your artificer friend that's in your party to just give you one of their infusions Maybe you work out some sort of trade, you have a magic item you could give them, or convince your DM to let you find or buy or craft a repeating shot infused blowgun without having to take levels of artificer yourself to get it, you will be in a much, much better place right now. At level seven, we would be a fighter five, and yes, we finally get extra attack, meaning that we'll be able to make two attacks per turn when we take the attack action, and that's four attacks when we action surge on our Nova round. Yay. At level eight, we would be a fighter six, and because we're a fighter, we get another ability score increase or feat, and that's very welcome. And now we will be taking the Poisoner feat. Poisoner isn't a horrible feat, but admittedly it does have some challenges. So let's dig in. First off, with Poisoner, when you deal poison damage, it ignores enemy resistance to poison. That's really nice, but there are a lot more enemies with poison immunity than poison resistance. It'd be nice if it also gave you, say, like the ability to turn enemy immunity into just enemy resistance or something like that. And maybe you can get a pass from your DM on that, especially if they plan on having a lot of poison immune enemies in their campaign. Maybe you flavor it like you're mixing acid with your poison or something. I don't know. But you can also apply poison to a weapon or a piece of ammo as a bonus action instead of as an action like most characters. But then finally, with an hour of work and by expending 50 gold worth of materials, you can create a number of doses of potent poison equal to your proficiency bonus. So that's three for now, not a ton, and it's kind of expensive. I'm just going to assume here that you are always going to have the resources available to keep some potent poison on hand when you need it for our Nova round. 
But again, this is something you're going to want to work out with your DM and maybe even your party here to get a loan in the early levels when you're all potentially a little strapped for cash. Unfortunately, the poison only retains its potency for a minute or until you hit an enemy with it. Now, when a creature takes damage from this weapon or ammo, they have to make a DC 14 con save or take 2d8 poison damage, and they become poisoned until the end of your next turn. So yeah, it can potentially add some pretty decent damage, but the big drawbacks are the expense, the fact that it only lasts for a minute, I really hate that. You know, it makes it fairly unrealistic to expect that you would have like a little store of several darts all poisoned, ready to go for when a fight breaks out. Also, it hurts that it's not an amazing DC, though at least it's better than the poison skin DC, and still a constitution saving throw, no less. And then yeah, it's poison damage. Like we talked about at the beginning, these can potentially be some steep disadvantages to overcome, and Again, things to discuss with your dungeon master at the beginning. If it were my table, I think I would tweak this feat a little bit to increase its power level. Maybe let the poison's potency last for a lot longer so you could have a few on hand. Maybe let you apply it to more than one piece of ammo with your bonus action. Maybe reduce or even remove the cost. Maybe raise the DC or at least allow it to scale with character level. Maybe allow it to do half damage on a successful save. But we're just going to work with it rules as written and I'll hope that you can get a little extra homebrew love from your DM. At level 9, we would be a Fighter 7, and that means, as a samurai, we get Elegant Courtier. And this is a really pretty solid feature. It lets us add our Wisdom modifier to our Persuasion checks, so hopefully we got to put at least like a 12 in Wisdom at character creation. But then we also have proficiency with Wisdom saving throws, and that's one of the most important saving throws for a player character in-game. So. It's really nice to just get that without having to take a feat for it. For our level 9 damage report then, we've made really big strides since our last check, adding extra attack and a little extra damage from the poisoner feat. Now, our potent poison vial that we make gives us four doses of potent poison currently. So the question is, can we make all four attacks during our Nova round with four pieces of ammo that are dipped in that potent poison? It just seems so incredibly unlikely that you'd actually have four rounds to do this before combat breaks out. But yet, you know, within that one minute time frame before the poison expires. Once in a while, maybe if you're about to get surprise on your enemy or something, sure. But I'm just gonna assume that we either already have one piece of ammunition poisoned when combat breaks out, or that we use our bonus action on round one to poison a piece of ammo and then round two is our Nova round. That said, there is nothing written about either the poisoner feet or the poison skin feature that say that these two poisons couldn't stack on the same attack. They're just different kinds of poison. Also, the good news is that after our Nova round, when we're not using our bonus action for Fighting Spirit, we will have it available to poison another piece of ammo with our potent poison, and this means we'll get a little extra damage out of our other rounds, potentially increasing our sustained DPR by a non-insignificant amount. Assuming, of course, that we've got the gold to keep up with all of the poison we'd need to be crafting, so that we could always have some on hand if we were going to try and use it on most turns. Anyway, I'm going to be assuming that all four attacks still have your poisonous skin poison, and that one of them has the potent poison as well from the poisoner feet. And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class and a plus zero to their con save, we would on average now do 80 damage. 
during our Nova round. And against an enemy with a 16 armor class and a plus six to their save, it would be 59. And that is much better, more than double since last time we checked. Though we are still in the bottom half of tier two compared to other Nova builds that I've done to date. Again, check the video description to see that comparison and those graphs, but I'd way rather be like in the bottom half of tier two than dead last. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about our little poison dart frog. At level 10, we would be a fighter eight and we get another ability score increase or feat. It feels great to finally be raising our dexterity score, which is what I would do here, now bumping it to an 18 going to give us more damage, more reliable hits. Also, at this point with an 18 dexterity, your armor class with a studded leather would be the same as with scale mail. So if you haven't already, feel free to doff that loud, clanky, noisy scale mail and equip something that helps you be silent but deadly. At level 11, we would be a fighter 9 and we get indomitable. <laughs> this is one of my least favorite fighter levels. Indomitable isn't the worst thing ever, but it's just not amazing. With Indomitable, once per long rest, you can reroll a saving throw that you fail. And I mean, sometimes, yeah, that'll be super clutch. But if the saving throw was against something that you don't really have a great save to begin with, or it was a super high DC, you're fairly likely to fail that second roll too. And you don't get it back if you fail, and you only get it once per day. The good news is that we are proficient in both constitution and wisdom saves, and we have a decent dexterity score, so for the three most important saving throws we generally have to make as a player character in 5e, we've got a decent chance at success, especially if we're getting to re-roll a fail. That's comforting. At level 12, we would be a fighter 10, and as a samurai, that means we get tireless spirit. It's not a bad feature. When we roll initiative, and we have no uses left of fighting spirit, and remember, we only get three per day, then we regain one use. And it's good to know that we'll be able to have one solid round of advantage on our attacks for a Nova round, no matter how many combat encounters we tend to have per long rest at our table. At level 13, we would be a fighter 11, and we get that pinnacle feature of fighters, extra, extra attack. Extra, extra, read all about it. Poisonous frog kills lots of bad guys. <laughs> That's a terrible headline. But yes, now, we get to make three attacks when we take the attack action on our turn, and yeah, it's one of the main reasons why I wanted to stick with Fighter for this long. It's really difficult to overestimate how powerful having a third attack can be. So yeah, now we get to make six attacks with our little blowgun when we action surge, and that's fantastic. And it's just in time for our next damage report too. The big changes since our last check are that we've increased our dexterity and we've added two more attacks to our Nova round. And so now against an enemy with a 10 armor class and plus zero to their con save, we would do 125 damage during our Nova round on average. And versus a 17 AC and a plus seven, it would be 93 damage on average. So, hey, we broke the centennial barrier. The big bummer really for this character is the lack of scaling on the DC for their poisons. It's just gonna get worse and worse as we get higher and higher level and we start running into monsters and enemies with higher and higher plus con saves, right? I really wish that these features worked in a way to at least maybe like let it use our proficiency bonus to help that descale a teeny bit. But anyway, compared to other Nova builds at this level, we're still in the bottom half of tier two, but again, we're not the worst. 
and considering that these characters were all built for Nova or Burst damage, I think we can hold our froggy heads high, especially considering that we're just using this lowly little blowgun. At level 14, I can definitely see an argument for leaving Fighter behind now that we've secured that third attack, or for maybe even going with a different class in the first place. I think that the standout options here are either going to be Monk or Rogue. Rogue, because it just sort of feels right thematically, and also because you'd be adding some nice sneak attack damage once per turn. But what about monks? The argument here, of course, is that if you were a monk, you could make the blowgun a monk weapon, once you hit monk level 2 anyway, and so instead of doing 1 damage, it would do 1d4, and would then potentially scale all the way up to a d10 of damage. So why the heck aren't you going monk instead of fighter with this build to make the blowgun way better? And this kind of gets back to the point that I was making in my pre the reality is, the damage of the weapon itself often matters less than a lot of other things that you're doing. Going fighter got us a great fighting style for a plus two to hit, more ability score increases and or feats to get poisoner and sharpshooter quicker, not to mention getting our dexterity up sooner. It's giving us advantage on all of our attacks thanks to samurai and now that we're fighter 11, a third attack when we take the attack action. Combined, all of those things are so much more potent and powerful than getting a little bit more damage out of your blowgun. And sure, you'd get some extra monk features too. I think you're probably going Kensei here. And that would, among other things, let you add a little more damage per turn to one attack. But especially when we're suffering a minus five to hit penalty, but adding 10 damage per attack, thanks to sharpshooter, plus that 2d4 on every attack from the poison skin feature, right? Increasing our chance to hit and getting advantage and increasing our number of attacks is just so much more valuable mechanically than adding a little bit more damage to the blowgun. Now, if you wanted to, sure. At this point, you could take a two level monk dip, so that you could make the blowgun a monk weapon and then turn it into a d4. But all that's really going to do is give you an extra 1.5 more damage per hit on average. And I just don't think that's worth it, even at this point, considering how good the level 15 samurai feature is by comparison. And I really want to get there by the end of this build, so I can't afford any more detours. You do what you want to, of course, as always, but we're going to stick with fighter. So yes, at level 14, we'd be a fighter 12, and that means we get another ability score increase or feat, and that means we get to cap our dexterity at 20, finally, and that means great things for our damage, not to mention, of course, our saving throws, our initiative, and some important skills. At level 15, we would be a fighter 13, and that means we get a second use per day of indomitable. <laughs> I mean, the only way to make a not great feature worse is by giving us more of it. <laughs> uh, okay, no more making fun of indomitable. At least it's not brutal critical. At level 16, we would be a fighter 14, and we get another ability score increase or feat. Wow, fighters just get so many, it's fantastic. And this feels a little bit crazy to say, but with our dexterity capped and our two most important feats in place, I'm just gonna say pick your favorite here, PYF. I think the best things to consider would be going with the lucky feat, or maybe the tough feat, or perhaps taking resilient dexterity to give you proficiency in all three of the most important saving throws. Raising our constitution is a valid choice as well, as it would increase both our hit points and that important save. I would maybe even consider raising my intelligence here. To 
to get a little more mileage out of our artificer spells. You tell me what you would do here with this ability score increaser feat. But then finally, for us at level 17, we would be a fighter 15. And yes, this is the main reason why I wanted to stick with fighter past fighter 11, because at fighter 15, samurais get rapid strike, which tells us that if we have advantage on our attack roll against our target, we can forego the advantage for that roll. Note, it doesn't say advantage for all of our attacks that turn, just one of them. And then doing so would allow us to make an additional attack against the target. We can only do this once per turn, so action surge doesn't let us do it twice or anything. But also, we can do this once per turn. So if nobody else is doing anything to give you advantage when you're not using fighting spirit, you're probably going to want to be pulling out fairy fire if you haven't been. And if so, then I'd especially consider raising my intelligence with the ASI at last level. So yes, now during our Nova round, we would be making seven attacks, though one of them will be without advantage. And yes, like I've said, only one of your attacks will be without advantage, not even both the attack you sacrificed advantage for and the bonus attack that it grants you. If you're using Fighting Spirit, it says all of the attacks that you're making this turn have advantage. Um, Jeremy Crawford even confirmed this on Twitter, if that calms your concern. But at level 17 for our final damage report then, since last check we've capped our dexterity and we've picked up yet another attack during our Nova round and even grabbed a little bit of survivability and or utility to boot. And thus, against an enemy with a 10 armor class and a plus zero to their con save, we would do 152 damage on average during our Nova round. And against an enemy with an 18 armor class and a plus eight to their con save, it would be 116. And yeah, we're still kind of near the bottom of tier two, but still not dead last, so I'm happy. All right, let's talk about final thoughts. The tier score for this character, if you take the damage that they do at all enemy armor classes that we calculate for at each of the four damage reports and just average them all together, it is a 71. And while yes, that does mean that they are dead last when compared to all the other Nova damage builds that I've done to date, there's a little caveat here because they're only last by a little bit coming in just under the whippoorwill. But also, the main reason they perform so poorly on average is because of their atrocious damage at level 6. If I could have delayed the damage report by just one level for character level 7, instead, then by comparison, this character would be much better off. And the reality is, they do much better Nova damage than a handful of those Nova builds that I've done for most of their career. Alright, so yeah, I'm gonna be honest. If you would have asked me, if I can build a Nova damage character that focused on poison damage was a grung and used only the lowly one point of damage blowgun as their weapon that would outperform some of the other Nova builds that I've done to date at most character levels, I think I would have said probably not. But guess what? This one does. And that alone makes me feel really good about it because not only will this build allow you to do some pretty solid on-demand burst damage, but will also perform some decent sustained damage as well, unless you're fighting poison immune enemies, of course. But above all, the best part of this character is that you get to do some solid burst and sustained damage, all while living your best poison dart frog life. And at the end of the day, wouldn't you way rather play a character whose story and concept you love than do a little bit more damage every round during combat? I know I would. So 
that's the build for the week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you know how much I love you because I do. You're the best. Thank you for liking and subscribing and commenting and even considering joining the channel as a member. I appreciate all the support that that gives me. I hope you'll check out the rest of the content in the channel if you're not in the habit of doing so. But above all, I hope you have a fantastic day and a really great week and that you are good and kind and stay safe and that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. Ready? Are we actually in focus this time? Cause I can see the light of a clear blue morning. I can see the light of a brand new day. Hey, I can see the light of a clear blue morning. Everything's gonna be alright It's gonna be okay <laughs> There is a band called the Waylon Jennies They're a f kind of a folk trio They are my favorite musicians at the moment and have been for a few years That song is called The Light of a Clear Blue Morning And it's a song that I really needed to hear recently And uh, maybe you do too so, look it up. Or is it just the poisoned condition? Or is it both? I better look that up. See, dooby dooby doo, dooby dooby doo. Well, don't say that. But, naturally. But, more than that. Of, but above all. Grungy grung 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 grungy grung grung grung. <laughs>